So I'm going to tell a story of some parents who brought their child to Disneyland, the one in California, because Disney World's in Florida. Thank you, Andy. So the, ch- the parents bring their child to Disneyland, and they're enjoying Disneyland. They go on all the rides. They're having a blast. There's a lot of excitement. The child's having the time of his life. He eats all the fun food, meets Mickey Mouse. It's his childhood hero. I mean, it's just a grand time. There's so much joy. There's so much excitement. But then on one of the occasions, they're going on a roller coaster, and they're in line, and the child is pretty short. There's a big crowd, and he, he realizes when he looks up that his parents aren't there. See, they got lost in the crowd, and now this child is lost. All of a sudden, Disneyland isn't that appealing. Now it's a Disney nightmare. All the things that he loved before no longer are joyful. That roller coaster line is terrifying. All these people are scary. Mickey Mouse doesn't even seem comforting. The food doesn't taste good. Why? Because he does not have the comfort of his parents. He feels out of care, out of relationship, out of comfort because the relationship isn't there. And so the the child looks everywhere to find his parents. You see, this is an example that I stole, by the way, from someone else. But this is an example of our walk with the Lord. You see, like the child, when we're out of fellowship with God, we are lost. And we cannot experience life in joy, in peace, in comfort, because we don't have the Heavenly Father. But when we realize the Father's presence, all of a sudden, all these things are wonderful. All of a sudden, there's excitement, there's joy, there's comfort. Now, this example of the the child is the correct response. When his parents aren't there, he should be scared. However, for a lot of us who are believers, we have a different struggle. The struggle is when we miss the presence of the parents, when we miss the presence of the Heavenly Father, we don't ask where they went. But we continue on trying to enjoy as if it doesn't matter whether they're there or not. You know what I'm talking about? How easy is it to try to take on the excitement and the joys of the present things, but we're desperately missing out because we're lost. And we need two things. The child, to to recognize his situation, he needed to realize, I'm lost. And he needed to realize, I need my parents. We need that. We need to realize we cannot do it on our own. For those who don't know Jesus, they need to come to the realization they're lost. And they need a savior. And we need to realize that there isn't any joy apart from being in fellowship with God. Now the way that we find this out is through the Holy Spirit. See, this is what our series has been on. But it's the Holy Spirit who brings to light these things. It's the Holy Spirit that brings to our attention, our hearts, illuminates our eyes to see our need for a Savior and our lack of fellowship. And then when we come to know Jesus, he reveals to us that he's there. And so we need desperately to be in the Spirit. We need to be walking in the Spirit. Romans 6 through 8 is a passage we've been frequently referencing in this series about the Spirit because it's one of the the most uh, rich passages to describe the Holy Spirit's work. And in this section, we get in chapter 6, verse 4 of Romans, 
we're told that we should walk in newness of life. There's an analogy of walking, okay? This direction, life. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you are brought to new life. Walk in it. Don't walk in death. So there's a contrast, life, death. Later on in chapter 8, verse 4, we're told to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. So here's another comparison. Life, death, spirit, flesh. See that connection? So to walk according to the spirit. Now, the question we might ask is, well, what does that look like to walk in the spirit? Is there like an actual path that I'm supposed to see and, and start taking? What does this look like? Well, I, I think this is described pretty well in chapter 8, verse 13. Paul says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you're living according to the spirit, you are by the spirit putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. So what does it look like to walk in the spirit? Well, one of these things is allowing the spirit to constantly be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. There's a war that's waging inside of us who have come to faith in Jesus. We're indwelt with the spirit, but we still have the old body. And Pastor Rossetti talked about this two weeks ago, this ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh. And you know what, believers? There's a battle going on, and we're going to talk about how that works, but there's a choice we have on where we're going to walk. Are we going to allow the spirit to keep putting to death the deeds of the flesh so that we may live? Or are we going to give in over here? That's the battle that we have going on. And so one of the ways that, I think the main way that the Holy Spirit is aiming to take care of the problem of sin in our life, to constantly be putting to death the deeds of our flesh, to constantly be keeping us on the path of walking in life, I think the the main way that the Holy Spirit is doing this is through conviction. Now, we're going to turn to, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 16. Don't put it on the screen yet, but uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 16. So have your Bibles there. So we're going to spend a lot of our time today. And in this passage, Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he leaves. He's preparing them for when he goes to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to be raised to life, and he's going to ascend into heaven. And their fear is, well, what about us? What can we possibly do without you? You're the one we've been waiting for. How are we to live? How are we to act without you? And he warns them, I'm going to send you a helper the Holy Spirit, who will guide you in truth. And he's going to talk in this chapter about what conviction of the Holy Spirit is. Now, before I get into that, I I want to settle some misconceptions. Because oftentimes when we talk about conviction, I think we get the wrong idea, or we get a partial idea, if that's a, a good way of putting it. Sometimes we believe that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is, is simply a guilty conscience. I feel guilt. That's conviction. That may be part of it, but I don't think that's the whole idea. Sometimes we think that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is shame over our sin. I don't think that's the whole idea either. Sometimes we feel as though the conviction of the Holy Spirit is some kind of fear of divine punishment. Have you ever felt that? 
I think all three of those things are things we struggle with and we feel, but they only have a part to play in conviction. That's not the whole. Conviction is not simply a bad feeling. The end goal of conviction is not that I would be miserable. That's not what the Lord has for us. In fact, the word conviction in the New Testament Greek is this neat word, it's aleko. It's a very neat word because it has more meanings than just convict. It really gives this idea of convincing. So when we say that the Holy Spirit's trying to convict us, we're really saying the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us of a truth, okay? Another way that this word is translated in the New Testament is expose. The Holy Spirit is trying to expose something to us, bring to light something, and reprove us. Those are all the ideas that come with the word conviction in the Greek. And so you notice that it's not just simply this one thing. It's all these things encapsulated. You see, the Holy Spirit is working in his conviction to us to reveal a truth that leads us to something. How do I know this? Because in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, the same word is used when the Lord says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So that word reprove, that's the same Greek word, aleko. Convict. Those whom God loves, he reproves. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's not trying to to just make you feel bad or, or just to see you recognize how bad you are. That's not the goal. The goal is I want to convict you. I want to reprove you. I want to bring to light what is going on in your life for the purpose of leading to repentance. There's an end goal. Whom God loves, he disciplines, he reproves, so that you would repent and be restored and find healing. So now that we have this better understanding of conviction, we can start to take these feelings that we get, these these uncomfortable, guilty, shameful feelings, and realize that there's a goal for them. They're not just meant to to linger and and convince us to, to live in that discouragement. The goal of them is to lead us to repentance, that we would be restored with God. Why? Because he desires relationship with us. There's a goal. And so then we come to this passage in John 16, where we talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's three things that we're told that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of. Now, for context purposes, because I'm not aloof to context, I love context, I believe this passage is speaking to the unbelieving world. This is what the Holy Spirit is convicting the unbelieving world about so that they may know Jesus. But I do believe There is an extension for us believers because these are the same three things that we are reminded of in the apostles' uh, letters. When they write letters to the churches, they keep calling them back to remember these truths. So I'm going to be applying these three things to unbelievers and believers. Got it? All right, I want to make sure we're on track there. I did not forget the context. Okay. So here in John 16, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of sin. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, On its own, when we read this passage, we can come to all kinds of interpretations. But again, there's a goal for the conviction. I want to reveal a truth to you. That's the Holy Spirit's goal. I'm revealing a truth to you about these three things that lead you to something. I believe that the something these three things are leading us to is Jesus. Now, I'm going to make my case. Just before this passage, in John 15, verse 26, Jesus informs us of the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Helper, When he says, the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, and 
he will testify about me. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to testify about me. Later on in chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. For he will not take of mine, oh wait, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to take the messages of Jesus, take Jesus' words, take Jesus' life, and allow the believer to see who Jesus is. And so when we come to these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment, it's leading to Jesus. So now let's interpret it accordingly. When we come to sin, in verse 9, we're told that uh, the Holy Spirit's coming to convict and concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And so the specific sin that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring to light to the world is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief because all of your sins that you have and I have put us in a wrong standing with God. But through faith in Jesus, our sins are paid for. And so the biggest problem we have is the sin of unbelief. If you don't believe, you can't have the forgiveness. If you don't believe, you can't be restored. And so the Holy Spirit is working to convince us, to bring to light how bad our sin is in order to make us realize how great his grace is. The child could not realize that he was lost and his parents weren't there until he came to the realization, I'm lost. I can't do this alone. The Holy Spirit is convincing us, you can't do this alone. You can't take care of sin alone. I'm convicting you of sin, not for a guilty conscience, but that you would come to the one who took care of sin on the cross, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the conviction. So the next thing the Holy Spirit convicts us of, he says in verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer will see me. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us about righteousness. Well, what about righteousness? Well, Jesus says he's convincing you of this because I'm leaving. You see, Jesus is the standard of righteousness. The whole argument in his life is you were trying to obtain righteousness by the law, and you could not do so. But Jesus did. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He perfectly exemplified righteousness. In fact, we're told he earned righteousness. And so when we're convinced of our lack of righteousness, we need to come to the right standard of how to be righteous. Has nothing to do with doing good works. Has nothing to do with how well I'm, I'm you know, listening. It has to do with, am I trusting in Jesus? And so the Spirit's work is reminding us there's one who is righteous. Trust in him. He's the standard. Not your rules that you've applied, not your understanding of what the Bible says do and don't do. No, Jesus is the standard. Submit to him. So this third thing that the Holy Spirit is convincing the world of, we're told in verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So lastly, what the Holy Spirit wants the world to see is that this world is not gonna last. What the Holy Spirit wants us to see is that oftentimes when, we're, when our eyes are blinded and closed to seeing Jesus because he's not here right now, we know he's coming back, but he's not presently here, the Holy Spirit's reminding us, no, he's coming. <laughs> Don't live as though he's not coming. 
don't fall to the trap that somehow Satan has more power here, that the enemy of this world has won because he has not. And there will be a day when Jesus returns and conquers sin completely, redoes the earth, conquers Satan, chains him, and if you're in him, you don't have to experience that judgment. And so when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of judgment, he's having us look forward to affect how we live now. That's something that the apostles frequently did. In 2 Peter, that's the argument that he makes. Peter's telling these churches, look, there are some heretics among you. There are people who are leading you astray. And what the heretics were preaching is there is no judgment to come. So live however you want right now. That's what they're saying. Oh, future judgment? You don't know about that. You can't see Christ right now. So indulge in sin. If you don't think there's judgment, grace may abound. Live in sin. All is jolly. Experience the roller coasters. Go eat the food without worry about your lack of fellowship with God. That's what the heretics say. And Peter says, absolutely not. That is not the truth. That is a lie from Satan. That's a lie that distorts the word. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming. And by his spirit now, you have his presence. And so live accordingly. There is a hope. There is a looking forward, a longing for the return of Jesus. But we get to experience that now. So don't wait. And so these three things are what the Holy Spirit in John 16 is convincing the world of. Now, believer, I hope you're convinced of these three things. And if you're in this crowd and you're thinking, I'm not, I've not been convinced of these things. I don't know for sure that my sins are paid for. I don't, I, I haven't believed in Jesus. Or I've been trying to earn some kind of righteousness on my own good deeds. Or I really haven't thought about the judgment to come and the future hope. I'm not confident in any of those things. If that's you today, my encouragement to you, my cry to you is you need to know these things. Through the preaching of the word right now, through the way the word's working in your heart, the spirit wants you to know truth. The spirit wants you to know Jesus Christ. The spirit wants you to know forgiveness. He wants you to know grace. He wants you to know that in Jesus is life and life abundantly. So don't keep walking in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Come to know him. Trust in him. Believe in him so that you would have life, not death. For the rest of us here who do believe in Jesus, there's a struggle we have when conviction comes. See, we have two options, two responses that we can give. There's no middle ground. There's two responses. One of those responses is that we can quench the Holy Spirit. I know you've probably heard this phrase before. I'd like to give an idea of what that looks like. So if you look at on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. See, what he's trying to get at is, if you want discernment of right and wrong, if you want to know what's good and what's evil, if you want proper understanding of, of what's going on in this world and the actions you need to be taking, you cannot quench the spirit. Well, what does it mean to quench the spirit? <laughs> Is there an on and off switch that I somehow can, can push? Oh, I'm not feeling it today. Turn that off. I don't think it's that idea, but it's not far. I think for one, quenching the spirit involves ignoring the spirit and continuing in sin. See, that conviction 
that you feel, either you respond to it correctly or you ignore it, and sooner or later that conviction starts to get dulled out. You stop feeling it as much. You see, there's walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh. If I walk in the flesh and let's say the spirit's like, hey, I'm convicting you of something over here, I could say, well, I'm going to ignore that, and the flesh just keeps taking. See, sin breeds more sin. It doesn't just settle for, for 2% of your life. It says, no, I want full autonomy. I want your whole body. I don't want you to be glorifying God. I want you to be, be desiring the, the fleshly desires, the, the things of the world, the lawless things that lead to death. That's what the flesh is actively doing. And when we ignore the conviction of the spirit, sin wins. And it breeds more sin. An example I like to give for this is when I was a teenager, I just learned how to drive, and uh, I had the privilege of using my parents' minivan everywhere I went. <laughs> Eric remembers that minivan. We, we, we did a lot of trips with that minivan, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I love that minivan. You know, it was really great when I went to prom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all my friends in nice trucks. And anyway, so I'm driving this minivan. It was an old minivan. And I know nothing about cars. I just got my license. I know I can drive. So I'm driving to my friends' places. And after dodgeball one night, my friends load up in the car. My friend Jeremy's sitting in the passenger seat. And I start up this old minivan. And as soon as I start it up, you hear a weird sound from the front. And I'm going to try to make it, but I, I can't really remember it. But it sounded pretty awful. It was like, kah, 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 kah. you know what I mean? So I, that's not good. And uh, so this sound comes from the front of my car. And I'm chilling, okay? I'm perfectly fine. I'm content. I know that sound. I hear that sound all the time. So I just keep on moseying around. I've dulled out my hearing to that sound because it's just always there. And my friend next to me is like, hey, did you hear that? <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I'm like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. If I turn my radio up, you don't hear it. Ah, da, 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 and I blasted my radio. And so that's how I took care of that problem. <laughs> but there was a problem. And because I ignored it, that problem came up later. <laughs> and it came up worse. You see, with the Holy Spirit, I think it's easy when the sound is made, the alarm is made, he's crying out, this is bad, I desire for you to come to repentance, I desire for you to be restored, I desire for you not to live in that sin. When that cry comes from the Holy Spirit, when we feel that conviction, it's easy for us to tune it out. And it's easy for us to turn on other things that are louder. So you know what? I know that you're trying to call me out for lying, but there's other things I'm doing well at. So I'm going to focus on those. You know what? I'm just going to watch TV. I'm not going to worry about it. You know what? I can't sleep because I feel this conviction. Well, I'm just going to be on my phone and scroll on social media until the feeling goes away. I'm going to dull it out. You know, but I, I'm giving examples of uh, bad things we go to to dull out the sound of the Holy Spirit. But you know that we can do that with good things as well. The Holy Spirit is trying to, to grow us, to call us to repentance. And he says, hey, if you're dealing with lying, Greg, you need to take care of this. And I say, you know what? I may deal with that, but I'm going to ignore that because I'm really good at other things. I preach all the time. I, I get to work in youth ministry. Let me focus on the good stuff the Lord's doing. And let me ignore this. See, the problem with that is that problem's going to come back. And those things are not, those things are going to be the ones that are damaged by this problem. That's a trap that we fall to, believer. It's a trap that we fall to all the time. So we need to turn our receptors for the Holy Spirit on and turn down the other things. 
That comes through being quiet before the Lord. That comes from being still before the Lord. Listen. See, often when we pray, we just talk. And that's good. We need to pray. We need to talk. How often do we listen? I think we don't like listening because he points out stuff we don't like. (laughs) See, but when that happens, I'm going to put this verse on the screen, Ephesians 4.30. This is what it's like for the Holy Spirit when we do that. See, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the Holy Spirit's indwelt in us. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what the destination is. Look, I have, I have entered into you. You are mine. You are in Christ. You are sealed. You will be restored in the end. But when we turn down the receptor, when we stay in our sin, when we continue on in the flesh, it's like the Holy Spirit is crying on the inside, crying out to us. What are you doing? You know that that leads to death. You know that this is the way to life. You know that that sin is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt others. You know that that ministry you're a part of is affected by that sin you're committing. Yet why are you ignoring these things? The Holy Spirit is grieved, saddened. It's almost like, like crying out, seeing an ox go to the slaughter or, or a person walking off a cliff and I'm crying, don't go off that cliff. And they just put their headphones on and keep going. That's the Holy Spirit in us, grieving because he wants us to hear. He wants us to hear his cries. Finally, when we quench the Holy Spirit, it holds us back from the work that the Spirit wants to do. Sometimes we're so content with where we're at, we don't realize where the Lord can take us. Last week, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Soon, we're going to be talking about, I lied, last week we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Caught that good. Soon, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Today we're talking about the sin that the Holy Spirit takes care of. And this is kind of the negative connotation of, all right, the Spirit is is doing the hard work of shaping us, of molding us, of taking care of the stuff that hurts in order to bring out those good things. You see, when the Holy Spirit takes care of these deeds of the flesh, we have more availability to experience the fruit of the Spirit. That love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that gentleness, the self-control. Believer, do you want that? I do. And he wants to use you through the gifts that he gives you to serve the kingdom and find real purpose. But when we quench the spirit, we are not allowing him to do that work. We are hindering his work in our lives. You see, I love this example. I had a professor give this and, and I, I steal it every chance I get. Um, but my professor one time shared, his, his father was a pastor and his father was preaching and he was an older man. He was preaching one day and in the middle of his sermon, he had collapsed. There was a heart problem that he had. And one of the doctors in the crowd, luckily he was there and, and he uh, worked on hearts. I don't know what you call that, but um, cardi, I don't know. Um, yeah, something like that. Uh, guy comes up, starts taking care of the pastor and he pinpointed the problem pretty quickly. He uh, made up some, some term, it's a, I don't know, heart issue, okay. And um, he knows the term for it, but basically he realized what was what's happening to the pastor was he had this weird wrap around his heart. It was a thin layer that wrapped around his heart. It was like this gunk that after it wrapped into this thin layer starts to suffocate the heart. He says, oh, I know how to take care of this. You have to open them up and you have to slowly remove the wrapping. My professor brought this up to give us an image of how the Holy Spirit's working in us when he takes away sin. 
See, the, the deeds of our flesh are suffocating us. They lead to death. But the Holy Spirit, like a divine surgeon, enters in and slowly picks away so that our hearts no longer are consumed by that, are drowned by that, but now our hearts can be alive, full in the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, obviously, one of our options is that we can quench the Holy Spirit, but believer, there's another option we have. Instead of quenching the Holy Spirit, we can confess. We know that the work of the Holy Spirit taking care of the sin in our life is leading to much greater joy than I would have had living in my sin. And so our role, our choice, our job is to confess that sin. See, the Holy Spirit is aiming to remove this sin, but the answer to that often when we feel the conviction is I gotta stop sinning. Does that ever help? Oh, I feel guilty. I feel awful. I can't sleep at night because this agonizing pain that's in my chest. I just gotta stop doing that. I know that this is damaging me, and so I just got to, if I know lying is my problem, I'm just going to stop lying. Does that work? It doesn't. We're not the ones who heal from sin. We come to the one who does. And so when we confess our sins, we're allowing the one who has the power to heal, to remove, to take care of sin, we're allowing him to do his work. And we're submitting to that. And so... We come to 1 John 1, 9, where we're told if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a book that we've been going through in young adults, and uh, I really have been enjoying it. Thank you, Laramores and Rachel Rom, for picking the book. It's called With, and the idea is uh, the author is trying to get us to understand what posture we should have before God, and he gives all these incorrect postures. Oh, don't have a life for God or a life from God, but God desires a life with you. And so he's trying to call us to this life with God posture. And in one of the chapters, he's expressing what that looks like, and and he shares a story of he's with a, a bunch of college students at a local Bible college, and all these college students have a similar struggle. They all grew up in the church and they're somehow now dealing with sin and they don't know how to handle it. And the author asks the the group, how do you think God views you when you're in sin? Almost all of them answered this way. I feel like God's disappointed in me. I feel like God expects better from me. I feel like he's waiting for me to come back. And the author notes that what he was saddened by is not one of these college students said, God loves me. Believer, God did not die for the righteous man. He died for the sinner. Christ didn't pay on the cross for the one who earned it. He paid on the cross for his enemies. He loves you unconditionally. And when you're dealing with sin, you may feel like you're not good enough to come to the presence of God. You may feel like you're not worthy You may feel like this is undeserving. I don't even deserve grace. Guess what? You don't. But that's the beauty of grace. You don't deserve it. But he gives it because he's so full of love. Receive that grace. Don't fall into this trap 
that God somehow wants nothing to do with you, that somehow you're lost in a park and he's not there because you're deep in sin. No, 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 he's right there. And when you come to him, when you confess, he is faithful and he is righteous in forgiving you because he took that sin on the cross. So confess to him. Allow him to deal with it. Embrace the freedom that he has for you there. And secondly, when we talk about confession, there's another beautiful thing that the Lord's given us. Yes, we confess to God, but somehow we, we trick ourselves to be more scared about confessing with one another. And that's why in James chapter 5, verse 16, we're told, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Believer, we're not alone. We've never been alone. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent him intentionally to convict us and to bring us to repentance. And he's given us the body of Christ. The body of Christ that's held together by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We should be there to help each other in that. We should come along each, other, uh, each other's sides when these sins come about, when, when we see someone heading toward the fleshly deeds, the death. I should be able to, to come up and say, brother, you're heading this direction. I love you. Repent. Come to God. There is not life there. Come to God. And also, when I need to repent, I should be able to come to you and feel confident that I'm not going to be judged for that, but that your heart would be to help me. I hope that when I come to Stephen Ryan, a close brother of mine, I can say, Stephen, I'm struggling with lying. Can you pray for me? And that he would pray for me. He would show me grace. He would point me to truth and that he would keep me accountable. Together, we walk in newness of life. Together as one body, we walk in the spirit. Don't allow any part of the body to go toward the flesh. So we confess to God and we confess to one another. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, it's a beautiful verse of what happens when we confess. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and we announce it to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we're lying and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. Cleanses us. That's a promise to us, believer. Fellowship with one another and cleansing from sin is what happens when we walk in the light. So notice that connection. We keep seeing this phrase, walk in this, walk in that. Walk in the newness of life, do not walk in death. Walk in the spirit, do not walk in the flesh. Walk in the light, do not walk in darkness. You see, if you believe that you can just keep your sin to yourself and that you don't have to confess it to God and others, you're in the darkness. You're not in some middle ground. You're choosing to walk this way. And what the Holy Spirit is aiming to do is, is get us to see the truth of the gospel, to see Jesus and to repent and come to him. You see, throughout this sermon, we've talked about three different senses that the Holy Spirit is trying to engage us in. We talked about in conviction how this is the Holy Spirit bringing to light, illuminating us to a truth. And so that has to do with the eyes, right? We also talk about how we can dole out the voice of the Holy Spirit. He grieves, he cries out for us. And he's trying to remind us of truth, but we can close our ears. 
We also talked about how we need to walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. That has to do with our feet. Now, let me tell you, the flesh, the world, the enemy desires that we would be blind, deaf, and lame. But believers, what happened to the blind, deaf, and lame when they encountered Jesus? They were healed. And so what the spirit wants for us is to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to walk. And that's what we need to do. We ain't going to sit around and just allow the enemy to win and indulge in the desires of the flesh because we, we need healing. But when we come to Jesus, we can move. When we come to Jesus, we can see. When we come to Jesus, we can hear. We need to keep coming to Jesus and allow the Spirit to engage our senses and grow us that we would become more like him and that we would live a true life of joy and peace. And so what I want us to kind of wrap up here are three applications. First, allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the great goodness of God and the deep darkness of sin. The Holy Spirit's working to convict you. He's trying to reveal to you this magnificent truth, not just that you're deep in your sin. Sometimes we leave it there. I feel convicted. I know how bad I am. And we allow that to to control us. But no, the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us our deep darkness of our sin and the great goodness of God and that he paid for that sin. So allow that conviction to work. Secondly, do not quench the Spirit's work here. You may fear judgment. And even more so, you might simply not want to let go of your sin. But sin breeds more sin and it leads to death. And believer, I am encouraging you. I am, I am imploring you. You can have life. If all your life, all you knew was death and sin, I'm here to tell you the truth of the word that you can have life and that life is in Jesus Christ. So do not quench the Holy Spirit. Respond to that conviction. Allow it to work. So thirdly, what we need to do when conviction comes is we need to bring that sin to light and allow God to take it on and heal you from it. So my last encouragement is embrace freedom. Embrace freedom. He has it for you. All you have to do is confess to him. I'm gonna do something I don't normally do. You see, normally when we hear a sermon and we receive instruction from the word, we almost wait until we get home and and hope that we apply it then. But what I would like for us to do, I would like to give an opportunity for all of us together as a church to respond to the message now. I would like to give an opportunity for us to, to deal with the sin that we're dealing with. All of us have it. Some of it may be blind to us. And so I want us to pray together. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have us all bow our heads and close our eyes. Please don't fall asleep. I hope that we engage well on this. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray some specific words. And then I'm gonna pause and give you a chance before you and the Lord to repeat those words if you believe them to be true and you want them to happen. Okay, so let's pray. Holy Spirit, reveal to me the sin that is destroying me and help me to see this sin the way that you do.
Holy Spirit, reveal to me the grace that has been given to me by Jesus, that he died for that sin. Keep your heads down and your eyes closed. If you said those words to yourself, to God, I want to encourage you right now to take a moment and bring your sin to the Lord. Confess it to him, and in this moment, receive the grace that he desires for you. Lord, we come to you now to repent of our sin. We come to you in our guilt. We come to you crying for help, and you do not condemn us. Instead, Lord, you offer us forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would lavish us now with your grace. Help us to see by your spirit what freedom and joy look like. Lord, give us the courage and the boldness to confess our sins to one another, no matter how intimidating or scary it is, knowing that there isn't judgment, but there's light from the darkness. And Lord, work in us to walk in the light, to find healing from our sin, and to have fellowship with you. Hold us close to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you. I praise the Lord for you and how you have encouraged me and my encouragement to you is to go walk in the light. Don't allow your sins to lead you in the darkness, but let the Lord heal you. Have a great day.